Are you tired of tribalism? I think a lot of what the left supports is satanic. The only time religious freedom is invoked is in the name of bigotry and discrimination. Are you exhausted by the culture war? If they don't like it here, they can leave. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Are you suspicious of those who say Jesus endorses their political party? Is it possible to be a good Christian and also be a member of the Republican Party? And the answer is absolutely not. From certainly a biblical standpoint, Christians could not vote Democratic. We trust the lamb, not the donkey or the elephant. This is the podcast that's too liberal for conservatives and too conservative for liberals. I'm Patrick Miller. And I'm Keith Simon. And we choose truth over tribe. Do you? About a century and a half after Jesus lived, there was a pastor named Tertullian, and he was really concerned because he saw thinking from the outside Greek world making its way into the church. And so he famously asked this question, what's Athens have to do with Jerusalem? And his point was, keep that stuff out. Now, you can contrast this with other people from church history. For example, John Calvin, who, you know, let's see, about 1,400 years later, goes the opposite approach. And he says that all truth is God's truth and that Christians should reclaim what truth they see in the world. And so John Calvin famously took non-Christian authors as conversation partners in his own theology. This has always been a debate in the church. And I think this is a really interesting debate within the church. What's the role of non-Christian thinkers in helping us shape our Christian thought? One of my favorite podcasts of the last year was Make It Plain. It's a podcast by Philip Holmes and Taylor Gray. And they're talking about the life and work of Malcolm X from a Christian perspective. Now, if you know anything about Malcolm X, you'll know that he was not a Christian, that he actually practiced Islam. Nonetheless, their podcast really introduced me personally to Malcolm X. Since then, I've read his autobiography. I've listened to most of his recorded speeches. And just like them, I've discovered that he's a profound conversation partner who can not only help me develop my theology of how faith interacts with race and public life, but far more than that. And so today, I'm really excited. We're going to be cross-promoting each other's podcasts. We're going to be sharing some stuff from our podcast on theirs and the other way around. But I picked out one of my favorite. In fact, it is my favorite episode from season one of Make It Plain. Season two is actually launching right now. So if you haven't heard Make It Plain, go back, start in season one. You can listen through or if you want, you can just start straight into season two. But I think that you're really going to enjoy this podcast, which explores the fascinating ways that Malcolm X predicted and experienced how the media spins narratives that slander people and transform outside perceptions of them. So listen in on this. I think you're really going to enjoy it. What's up, Make It Plain listeners? Jasmine and I have a new venture that we're excited to share with you called Carved in Ebony. It's an online store that creates apparel and other merch to celebrate black people's beauty, dignity, and wisdom, while also raising awareness about key figures, especially Christians throughout history who have shaped our community. The name and logo are inspired by Amanda Berry Smith, who is called God's Image Carved in Ebony by the newspapers of her time. I discovered her while researching for my new book, which shares the same name as the store. Since the Juneteenth launch, several customers have left reviews praising our shirts. One of my favorites says, the product is first class. We finally found a product that highlights that I am made in his image and carved in ebony. My family and I will support and order again. So for a limited time, we have a buy one, get one free deal exclusively for Make It Plain listeners. Receive a free Make It Plain coffee mug when you purchase any Make It Plain t-shirt. Just use the code Make It Plain, just one word, at checkout. I don't see any American dream, I see an American nightmare. We never initiate any violence upon anyone, but if anyone attacks us, we reserve the right to defend ourselves. When you're in your own nation, in your own land, you're in a position to get justice. But when you're in another man's country, in another man's land, you have to look to that other man for justice, and you'll never get it. We're nonviolent with people who are nonviolent with us, but we are not nonviolent with anyone who is violent with us. Anytime you beg another man to set you free, you will never be free. We are ready and willing to pay the price that is necessary for freedom. What price are you talking about? The price of freedom is death. Welcome to Make It Plain, where we offer Christian reflections on the words and life of Malcolm X. I'm Philip Holmes. I'm Taylor Gray, 
and we are your hosts. So last week we talked about perceptions of Malcolm, but this week we want to talk about the way that Malcolm was slandered. Mm. So I have a quote right here, Taylor, that I'm going to read, and then we're going to dive into today's topic. Malcolm said this in his autobiography. When I am dead, I say it that way because from the things I know, I do not expect to live long enough to read this book in its finished form. I want you to just watch and see if I'm not right in what I say, that the white man in his press is going to identify me with hate. He will make use of me dead as he has made use of me alive as a convenient symbol of hatred. And that will help him escape facing the truth that all I have been doing is holding up a mirror to reflect, to show the history of unspeakable crimes that his race has committed against my race. Mm, man, listen, that brother was prophetic. I think like, you know, when I hear quotes like that from Malcolm, um, it's, it's one of those direct confrontation kinds of quotes where he's, he's not speaking kind of in the ethereal or the theoretical or hypothetical, like he's coming straight for hearts and the, the deepest parts of what make us human. And it makes us come to grips with what we do, you know, and, and ultimately the behaviors that shape our society. So when we say we want to talk about slander, Malcolm is in this quote interacting with a, a a kind of reputation that he would gain because people that were able to shape narratives and and you know we're talking about the media, we're talking about a broader commentary of who he was and who and what his life represented. Um, he was interacting with people who would just blatantly tell non-truth about him or say non-truths about his message. And that word symbol, um, that's, that's just such an interesting word for him to use because when, when someone becomes symbolic, it's almost as if we can step away from who they are and humanize them in the complexity of their humanity and then just interact with a symbol. Uh, whatever we've created or whatever kind of ideology that we want to attack, we turn that person into just a symbol that ultimately we interact with. And man, that is, to me, a culture that's ripe for slander. Mm, that's good. Yeah, man, I, I completely uh, agree. I, th I think that's super helpful, we, especially when you talk about Malcolm was extremely complex, but what was presented and what has been presented to most people is sort of this one-sided or one-dimensional yeah. version that is not at all, that's not all accurate. I, I couldn't help but wonder, you know, when, when Malcolm is, is doing this, he doesn't really talk about government mm. or the FBI. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He specifically talks about the white man's media. media. Yeah. I can't help but wonder if this framing of Malcolm was strategically intentional mm, mm. or if it was simply conveniently used to oversimplify things. You know, I guess both would be strategic. Yeah. But like, was it about Malcolm or was it about selling newspapers? Yeah. And I mean, that's just the question we can always ask whether or not the media is actually interested in reporting the facts. Or, or helping to shape the perspective that we can take away with a balanced approach. Mm -hmm. You know, like we, we always have to question that about media. And <laughs> now we see all these years later, after Malcolm's time, we have all of these news outlets. But if the news is the news, then, you know, why does one political party listen to one station versus the other yeah. political party listen to the other? So I think, he was he at that time was interacting with um, a, a a version of news media that he was critiquing 
in general as it relates to white people in in narratives that would be presented to the white community or the um just the white perspective mm. yeah it is it's it's just interesting because people often talk about the media as if what we have today is sort of new right mm-hmm. we, you know you just talked about all the different news stations and all the mm-hmm. various narratives right yeah but it's it's very interesting that when you look at how Malcolm described the media of his time, this distrust for the media was already there. Mm-hmm. I think that people are going to find themselves as Christians identifying more and more with minorities and how they respond is going to be interesting because before when America was perceived to be generally a Christian nation, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it seemed as if the news reflected that. Mm-hmm. Sort of even the political beliefs of the two parties reflected that. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, Christians are feeling more and more marginalized by society. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's also interesting that many who accuse the very same people who accuse black people of having sort of this victim mentality mm-hmm. now have embodied yes. their own version of this victim yes. like mentality. Cancel culture, mm-hmm. the like. Yeah, man. I mean, it's (laughs) again, like what, what he was interacting with back at that time had to do with, um, you know, the, the presentation of news to the white community or for, from the perspective of white people, because the, the news media wasn't necessarily reporting on what black people feel or what black people think or centering black voices at that time. Mm -hmm. You know, it was basically media that it may in its best assumption of what they were trying to do were they were trying to understand the perspective of black folks but it wasn't necessarily centering black people mm-hmm. to tell the stories mm-hmm. so his caution i think has to do with you know what he had already experienced and and what we downplay so often in this country especially now because of the variety of news outlets we have is how this country has been propagandized around so many different things more than we realize yeah man so he he was in tune with that early that's why i couldn't help but wonder i'm like he didn't mention the government yeah he didn't he didn't mention just white people how white people will see me yeah he specifically called out the press because yep. I'm, I'm also fascinated by how Malcolm's perception of the media as being untrustworthy suddenly also became the, the, the message of evangelical Christians, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and some, depending on who you talk to, would say with the exception of Fox News, but there are many who, you know, post-Trump are distrusting Fox News. So there's this there's this strong distrust of the media within the conservative base. And they recognize, I think what Malcolm recognized is that he who controls the narrative has the power. Mm, right. Yeah. So now you're seeing all of these like conservative news stations and newspapers popping up here and there because the response is our side of the story isn't being told. Yeah. Right. And but this was the plight of African-Americans in America for centuries. Yeah. And and I mean, just again, when it comes back to to propaganda or propagandizing, I think what we have to do is be honest about our country's history in terms of how the media has even propagandized the church, you know, or, Mm, you know, created narratives and perceptions about what the church is and where the church is good is in society or Mm -hmm. why it exists for the good of society Mm -hmm. the news media can play a part in crafting that narrative and you know we we have publications like christianity today that have had such a long run and have had longevity in that way but i do think malcolm christians aren't even giving their information like like that's kind of a side piece of of content, yeah. right? As it's a it's a small supplement to get some explicitly Christian things, mm-hmm. right? This is what I think everybody needs to realize about the media and about news that you digest. You can report the facts and still tell a lie, sure, right? Because it's it's not 
just is is the facts that you choose to report, mm-hmm. right? The nuances that you know the the naked eye may assume are unimportant, mm-hmm. but you as a journalist knows that if I include this, it might balance out the story, or it might make the narrative more complex. Yeah, and I think that with King being the symbol of love. Malcolm being the symbol of hate, it made it seem as if the race issues within America were like just done, right? Yeah, I mean, here's three sets of facts. Black people, and I'm not saying this was an actual headline. I'm just using this as an example. You say these things and report them. Say, black people are poor. Black people are uneducated. Black people are going to prison. And if you just report those things and you create a perception about black people Mm. and you're not helping people engage with the full conversation. So for Malcolm, a lot of what was reported was Malcolm X is angry, you know, or this perception of his passion around a particular topic gave people the impression that whatever he was yelling about or whatever he was speaking strongly about was wrong because you're not supposed to do that. You're, why are you angry? You live in America. Why are you upset? You, you can achieve anything you want here. And this is what I mean by the media propagandizing America, the greatest country on earth, the patriotism, the nationalism that's associated with it. It's only something that can be reported from one perspective throughout history Mm -hmm. and so he represents a different perspective Mm -hmm. history still still factual history Mm -hmm. except he's giving information that the national news media will not give Mm -hmm. so they can control how people perceive him because he's flying in the face of what they report Mm -hmm. therefore they can say slanderously so i think is what we're saying that he is a purveyor of hate. Well, and then also, here's, here's the reality, right? Martin and Malcolm were fighting two different battles. I think that can't, we can't allow that to escape us because Malcolm could already drink from the same water fountains as white people. He could already use the same restrooms as white people. So Malcolm's concerns in some ways, not in all, because it doesn't matter in the 60s if you were black, like you're still experiencing racism, but Malcolm's concerns were not nearly as overt as what King was dealing with in the South with the people he was advocating for. And the reason why I point that out is because if we understand that, that means that Malcolm and in his calls pre-civil rights act, his concerns, I think are probably more in line with what most of us are dealing with than with King, because here's, King knew and Malcolm knew this This is why Malcolm smiled. And this is why King was brilliant for recognizing that the nonviolence ethic of love was going to be the best way forward. It's the same. It it hit me the, the other day. It's the same reason why Malcolm smiled in interviews. Hmm. It's because Hmm. he recognized that, listen, if we're out in the streets defending ourselves against white violence, they're going to say black people are rioting. Think about, think about Black Wall Street. Mm-hmm. What was it known as? Like, what was the name that was given, in, given to it long before we knew it as Black Wall Street Massacre? It was called something else before that. It was called the Tulsa Race Riots. Yeah, so then it, it put the onus on the black people who were being brutalized. 100%. Yeah. That would have happened. King was brilliant. King knew that it didn't matter if it didn't matter who threw the first punch. You got to think about TVs were limited. Mm-hmm. Segregation was in full effect. This is more so theory. I always try to put myself in the mindset of those who were living. So when you living during that time. So when you think, you know, blacks in the South are uneducated, mm-hmm. right? Is the perception probably nationally. And you're in this situation where the media ultimately is going to control the narrative. And and in the segregated society, most people in the South had not actually had interactions with uh, African-Americans apart from the people who worked for them. Right. And so if they didn't own a business, they 
probably didn't cross paths as much, right? Mm-hmm. And if they, if and it was just purely by seeing them, right? Not really, right? So the North's perception was that the reason why the segregated laws are in place is because the Negroes in the South are this way or that way. Uh, and, you know, they're uneducated. So now you have to have a strategy in place that does not require the watch, the person who is watching from afar to have to judge who is in the right and who is in the wrong. Mm-hmm. You have to make it explicit because black people didn't have a voice. Our word against yep. white people's word didn't mean anything. Yep. So King's strategy was essentially, you can't say we started a riot when you're spraying us with hoses and you're sicking dogs on us and we're not doing anything yep. wrong. Yep. And Malcolm said, if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. Or right. We would, we would at least explore the concept of self-defense, which, which again points to him being slanderously reported as a purveyor of hate. Yeah, because think about the Black Panthers, right? Yeah. And how they were perceived. Yep. Now, these are simply individuals who are exercising their constitutional yep. rights, right? Mm-hmm. But you see a bunch of black dudes with guns. Yeah. It's going to be perceived completely different than a white guy with a gun. Yeah, and and again, that's a perception, that's a perception challenge to overcome. Oh, 100%, which is why slander is so easy. Yes. And what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to emphasize yes. is I've realized this as well. Black people only have a voice mm-hmm. when we are within white, and I'm talking about like pure white culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because white, there, there are white people, then there's white culture, mm-hmm. right? And I, I got to distinguish between those two. But I think we're all kind of affected by that piece of white culture as well, because a black voice, even sometimes amongst his own people, Mm -hmm. right, is questioned, right, when compared to it, because it's just something that, like, we just kind of naturally, like, do, because it's what we've been taught. Yeah, it's what we've been taught. Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah. and and, because I wanted to get back to more of how what Malcolm was addressing really points to some of what we're struggling through now mm-hmm. in our national conversation. Yes, that's the, yes, yeah, 100%, because, yeah. Because I think the end of the day, as Martin and Malcolm grew together, they saw their ideologies start to converge. Mm-hmm. And Mar- Martin would travel further north and find a different kind of racism that was yep. more covert, yep. more identifiable through n- nuance and language and you know kind of layered legislation mm-hmm. and Malcolm was just flat out speaking to it you know calling out the white liberal media and all that different stuff mm-hmm. but he he remained steadfast in his critique of the systems and structures that that cause the condition of of black people and other suffering minorities so when when you're when you are passionately speaking towards the systemic inequalities of the society that you're in and yet you're being reported as doing something else. I think what we're agreeing or at least trying to communicate is that that is slander, you know, so I'm communicating, this is what I'm doing, but someone else is reporting that I'm actually doing something harmful. I'm trying to help here. These are what my words tell you. I'm giving you reasoning behind what I'm doing, and I'm exploring this notion that I believe is good for our society, and yet what's reported is that I am a purveyor of hate and that I am a person who encourages violence. That's what Malcolm was dealing with. Are there some ways, I mean, I'm asking you this because I know there are, are there some ways that that still is playing out in society? Let's just go right there. I think the conversation around critical race theory now is very similar to the dynamic that Malcolm X was interacting with, just as a critique on society and structures, and then Christian brothers and sisters interacting with critical race theory, communicating something that they are extracting from the concept, and yet being slanderously reported as purveying anti-gospel methodology how do you see that play out you know how have you personally interacted with that application of slander 
So I had some earlier concerns about critical race theory when I first kind of started hearing it here and there. And my thing was like, young fella, be careful. Although there's some guys who, you know, are well more are a lot more well-versed who would be okay with utilizing CRT as a tool or, you know, something like that, whatever. But, Mm -hmm. you know, anything that's outside of the canon of scripture to deal with something as complex as racism and injustice, I did not feel like early on, and I still feel this way, that we needed it. But I also didn't think that it was sinful or the greatest threat to Christianity or was something that was necessarily going to cause harm, significant harm in the body of Christ. If those who were interacting with it kept in view that all truth is God's truth. Yes. This is one of the things that I've been trying to emphasize for those who are pro-using CRT and those who are all the way from suspicious to skeptical or they hate CRT, anti-CRT type guys. Because there's some people who might be like suspicious mm-hmm. like of it, even though they don't think it's the greatest threat to Christianity. And then there's others who, and I don't even know if they really believe this, but they're saying it, like this is the greatest threat to uh, Christianity. Here, here's the thing. You have to make sure before you are going to Uh, use a tool outside of scripture or critique a tool Mm -hmm. outside of scripture that you are well versed in what scripture has to say about the topic that that tool is attempting to address. So you have to be well versed in the tool. (laughs) Yes. You have to be well versed in the tool, right? But you got to first be well versed in scripture because here's what will happen. If you don't have a robust biblical theology of justice, And you approach a tool, let's start with favorably, right? Mm -hmm. And let's just say you are a a, a Christian, right? Mm -hmm. But because you've inherited a theology that is weak when it comes to issues of justice, um, and you have not studied the narratives and the dynamics of power and all these things in Scripture, right? Or maybe your cultural lenses... Maybe maybe you've maybe you've studied these passages, but your cultural lenses blinded you from from the ability to see what was actually going on, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And and your stubbornness in your heart of heart, right? Maybe it's just not your cultural lens. Maybe your heart's just heart towards it, right? Yeah. So the, or maybe the spirit allowed you to remain like you know I I can see all the Christian you know the spirit is powerful than more powerful than cultural lenses. Yeah, you know, I, I can hear all that. So, yeah. but my point is this: is that if you don't have a robust theology, and then you hear something that CRT purports that may be true, because just because CRT is not Christian, and it has some things that are uh, worrisome. Mm-hmm. That does not mean that everything that it says is wrong. Right. 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 It, there still could be some truth in that. And that truth belongs to God. Right. That's right. Yeah. Now, so let's say you were, you go in and you just start critiquing something mm-hmm. and you've made up your mind that like this particular aspect is evil. Mm-hmm. Right. Because people start talking about intersexuality I don't know as much about the philosophy as I know what it means to intersect, like an intersection, right? right? So how how these things like, right, cross over, right? There are things that I might say, because there's going to be two different people that you're going to be interacting with. You're going to be interacting with those who are promoting CRT Mm -hmm. based on what they see on CRT. And you're going to say that's evil because it comes from CRT, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you got me over here, ain't read uh, more than a paragraph about CRT on purpose, right? right? Because it's kind of a, it, the, everybody keeps saying, well, I don't know. Yeah, because then they'll actually have a, a reason to say that it's influenced me. Like there is nobody that I listen to regularly that is is influenced by critical race theory. Well, what, maybe, what I'm getting is from the Bible. So, but l- let me finish this, and then I want to hear what you're about to say. Yeah. So, so my thing is, is that I'm coming from the scriptures. It's kind of like the um, the 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 I can't remember. I got to find this quote, but it, he basically says, "I've I've never read a word of Calvin when I accepted what is so-called Calvinism." Yeah. Right. I think that's true in a lot of cases because I'm just like, if what I'm saying is CRT, that's interesting because I've never read a word of CRT. Right. right, right, right. I can take you to the text and I can show you these dynamics in the text. Yeah. So that means that you haven't been reading the text. That's right. And you're trying to critique something based on cultural lenses that you have been told are biblical, but they're actually secular 
and worldly mm. and just as unhelpful and evil mm. as perhaps CRT. And your Christianity potentially may have been propagandized to you versus you exploring the true nature of what it means to follow Christ. Yep. And, and I mean, man, like you, you said exactly what I was getting ready to, to, to walk into saying, which is to communicate truth from God's word and for the spirit to illuminate to you what God is shaping in his community of faith as it relates to the life of the believer and the community we share with one another, and then also our mission in this world, if that's ultimately what your formation is from Scripture, you're you're spending your time in the Word of God, and then you communicate a truth from Scripture, and then someone redirects and says, no, you got that truth from a man's philosophy or Mm -hmm. or a man's theory or teachable concept in academia, then, you know, (laughs) in this, in this way, we are, we are exploring slander, you Mm -hmm. know, like you're telling me that I represent something that I don't, you know, and at the end of the day, that's how you're going to report my image to your circle or to the rest of the world. And I think this gets back to what Malcolm is saying is in the, at the end of the day, we have a a culture of slander. We don't have those yeah, people 100%. who who will go and research either the scriptures for themselves, which which we we would say that's the first thing you need to do is go study the scriptures. Have a robust understanding of justice or how how God would address social issues in actual communities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Find out what that looks like in the scriptures first. Yep before you you enter into this conversation. But there's a dishonesty there in that folks will not take that first step. They'll actually create an image of who you are based on a propagandized view yep. of where you're coming from. So yep. we have this, this culture of slander. And yep. I mean, I, I wanted you to speak to maybe just some some specific ways that that has played out. Because, you know, we start with Malcolm and, and ultimately wrong views that are shaped by the media that are assigned to him. What kinds of of wrong things do you think are assigned to Christians who appear to be interacting with critical race theory may or may not be, but may agree with some of the concepts? I don't know if it has much to do with whether or not they're interacting with it or whether or not they are agreeing with some of the concepts. I think that it's a lot simpler than that, I think is if they are dealing with race. What I've come to realize is that it is a smokescreen. It's it's not really about CRT being the greatest threat. It's about silencing those who are talking about issues related to race and justice and not just racial justice. But I think eventually you will begin to see this evolve. If it's if it's exactly what I think it is, I think that you will begin to see it evolve and it will be no, actually it already has been. It's been mm-hmm. leveraged at anybody who's mm-hmm. speaking to power on behalf of the vulnerable, because there are those who are in power attempting to keep power because they want a certain group of people to essentially stay in their place. And so this whole conversation is about power. First, can, how would you could you define slander with your with your own words? How would you define slander to make a false or damaging statements about somebody? Mm. Right. That's essentially uh, what slander is. Yeah. And there are those who will use this intentionally or I would say consciously or unconsciously. What ends up happening is that you first create a lens for those who consume it by which their view of the person that's being slandered is altered or distorted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That's the, that's, that's the first thing that you do when you slander. Mm-hmm. The second thing, which is simply a natural next step, is that if what you are saying in the work that you're trying to pursue has become altered or distorted, you no longer have a voice. Mm-hmm. Because what I interpret you as saying versus what you're actually doing is completely different. Here's the funny part. The same thing actually happens to those in power who present themselves as the champions for truth because they can actually speak heresy and say something that's completely contrary to scripture and you'll allow it 
because they have established themselves as the one who should not be questioned because he or she champions truth. And the, and you won't be able to see the good that's being done by the person that's being slandered because they have given you a lens and you have to consume it, right? It's not like slander is one of those things that the people who hear it are victims, right? It, it harms them, yeah. but not as victims. It harms them because it makes them complicit mm. or it tempts them to become complicit, right? That's where the damage is done. But the real damage, the real victims are those whose image or whose words have been distorted. So I'll give you an example of how I saw slander play out in, in, in my own, in my own story. I got an email from one of my superiors and he said, Hey, got this email from one of our graduates. And I know this is wrong. He, he knew what was going on. Right. But essentially the person had said that I'm quoting Malcolm X favorably and I am promoting certain aspects of CRT. Now this person was a pastor who said these things about me. This person was someone that I, I actually knew and had, I wouldn't say a close or strong relationships with, with, but you know, we were in college and we were in seminary together. And they could get a hold of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Easily. 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 Yeah. So I was first just kind of taken off guard because I was like, wow, like that really happened. Then it hit me. Wait, he slandered me. I have quoted Malcolm favorably, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I don't I don't see an issue with that, right? But I'm also engaging Malcolm critically, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But I, I, I do think that we can learn from him. So if that's how you're framing quoting Malcolm favorably, I, I wouldn't really have a problem with that. I've just my you question would be, what's, your, what's your point? Yeah, we're doing this podcast. Yeah, you right. I'm like, <laughs> like, okay, so, and, yeah. like, keep talking. Right. Because right? you just saying that hadn't said anything yet, right? right? Yep. So that's one. But the other one that was, like, disturbing was the notion that I was promoting certain elements of CRT favorably. Well, all right, so if I take a charitable approach to what he was saying, I could say, which elements? Because there are some elements that might be true, but I didn't even know enough about the elements of CRT to promote. So that means maybe he was super well-versed, but I knew essentially what was going on. He was saying that I was promoting elements of CRT and that was concern of his. Right. So my conclusion was, oh, he slandered me because either he has not listened to anything that I've said or he's misrepresenting what was said. So it took me a while, but I had to calm down. Because I was, I was extremely frustrated for multiple different reasons. But eventually, I decided to reach out to him. I set up a call with him. Wasn't blindsiding him. Said, CRT, Malcolm X. That's the topic. Let him know. Mm-hmm. Zoom, too. Okay. Because I wanted us to him. be able to see each other, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I said, hey, help me understand how you thought that I was quoting certain elements of CRT. And he says, huh. Well, actually, I didn't actually hear you say that. Someone else told me. Oh, gosh. Man. And I went back and, and listened to what you said after he talked to my superior. And I realized that's not at all what you were saying. And then he repented. He apologized. Right? Yeah, he okay. apologized. I, I, we, we ended up actually talking for like two hours. And I, I'm not sure that he quite got it. But I, th- I definitely think that he was trying to understand the gravity of what just took place, right? Because he's, 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 a, he's a pastor, mm-hmm. right? So there's a responsibility that a pastor has, in my opinion, uh-huh. when it comes to things like this. Yes. And, and I'm grateful for his apology and for him just admitting, like, I mean, just saying, yo, like, I got to be honest, I didn't even read what you said, right? I, I didn't even listen to what you said. I went back and listened and I realized, you know, and, and, and so, but what I told him, I was like, listen, I was like, I don't know the motives of the person who told you, right? Because honestly, like this isn't like really over, but like you're the one who said something. So I'm going to leave it here. That person manipulated you. Mm. They lied to you about me. And if they told anybody else that this is what slander does, it takes away the voice of its victims because now with me trying to, you know, one of the things that we're, we're talking about trying to establish is a nuanced, careful approach, not a balance. Because I think our aim is truth, right? I don't don't even necessarily know, but I I do know that sometimes things are so complicated where we we might not necessarily have the answer, but we're trying to present both both perspectives, not as if they're equal, because sometimes they're not. No. Right? 
I, it's, it's, I, don't, I don't like the idea of like picking a little bit from over here and a little bit from over there. But I, I do tend to think that there are also sometimes there are some people who are really right and kind of wrong. There are others who are a, a little right and a lot of wrong. And then sometimes both sides are just a lot of wrong and a little bit of right because the problem, again, has been mis- misdiagnosed, right? When that doctor, going back to an earlier episode, when I talk, gave the analogy of the misdiagnosis when it comes to do you have the flu, right? Mm-hmm. Or do you have a really bad cold or do you have HIV? The reality is, is that the fact that you have a cold, that could be very true, right? Because HIV lowers your immune system. Me telling you that truth does nothing for your overall health. That particular truth is just a symptom of a bigger problem. Yeah. But what, what the problem is, is that we're so content to stop and accept the you have a cold, a really bad cold answer, because what's behind the you may have HIV mm-hmm. curtain is too scary. And this is what happens when it comes to these issues and, and race in America, because there are times where an issue takes place and it's not racism. That doesn't mean that there's not a problem there that needs to be explored. I think what's more concerning and troubling about the example you gave is the effect of slander. You know, like it's, mm-hmm. it's not just this innocuous, we just had a misunderstanding, oh, my bad, that's a mistake. But we're talking about an email to your superior. Yeah. When you send an email to someone's superior, there's typically an expectation that there'll be a reprimand. Even, even, yep, ex- absolutely. Even if one isn't asked for, because he didn't ask for a reprimand. He simply wanted to know if my views were representative of the institutions. Yeah. Whatever could have transpired from there, thank God, the person who's your superior knows you and, and has some respect for you and your character. Mm-hmm. You know, so again, like the effect of slander, is is not just hey we had a disagreement it right. is now like you said earlier I, I think i need to remove your voice or i need to stifle your voice or yeah. i need to to cripple the uh reputation you have in some ways yeah because because here's the thing the reason why this illustration i think is so helpful and this story is so relevant because it's clear the effects of slander are played out in his actions mm-hmm. right because he was somebody slandered me to him. Yes. And even though he knew me, went to school with me yep. two times and is a pastor. Yep. Right. So anybody's acceptable to slander. Yep. He reached out to my superior with a conclusion about me. Conclusion. Without based on listening. words that he had not even heard. Yep. And, and I'm just going to go on record and say, as a pastor, that's a pastoral failure. That's a failure. Of, that should not be taken lightly. Yep. And that's, you want to talk about a perceived offense against God versus an actual offense against God. You know, what the scriptures or how the scriptures treat slander, you know, how the, the kind of witness that we are supposed to proclaim to be in this world Mm -hmm. is affected by slander. And Ultimately, we're talking about a man named Malcolm X, who we will eventually get to his view on the Christian church. Mm-hmm. He, it, there, there is an effect that he predicted about the witness people would have of him in light of what he did or what he said and their perception of it. So are we, and as the church, are we complicit? in our false representations Mm -hmm. of people that we perceive historically in certain ways, Mm -hmm. or even in our current interactions with our brothers and sisters. So much so that we won't have a conversation with them. We won't seek explanation. We won't even open up the text to find out whether or not we're actually in the right heart posture. And we have a sound understanding of what God is teaching through the scriptures. We will take the, the presumptive step of trying to condemn or, or influence some sort of penalty against our brother or sister based on conclusions that are not even true. Right. 
You know, like that's that's the culture of slander. And as it relates to CRT, that's the hot button issue in the evangelical church right now. But to your point, man, it is a smokescreen. It is a smokescreen that ultimately is hiding our need for repentance, like deep repentance to reconcile with one another and to have some some authentic representation of the spirit's work Mm. in us and through us to maintain community and brotherhood with each other. Mm. So, I mean, it's, it's disappointing to hear that you had that experience. Um, it, it, and unfortunately like that is something that has become the norm in the real, as it relates to this conversation. All right. There's nobody who can sit here and tell me that they haven't begun to receive some sort of information or concept from a secular source and try to apply it to their Christianity. There's no way somebody yeah. can, can sit here and tell me that they... Well, that, the very people who are going in hard against Christianity are literally using atheists in order to warn of the dangers regarding CRT. It's a really... I'm trying to be diplomatic, but it sucks. You yeah. know, this is yeah. this is bad. Like, this is... And I, and I mean, like... Because one guy who agreed with them... <laughs> responded when they posted the uh, podcast was like, this seems to be a really bad move guys. Like, I mean, I'm with you on like the dangers of CRT, but this, he he could see how like contradictory. And I think, I think this person, I think there are a lot of well-meaning people, right. Who are listening to particular voices who don't have the theological and exegetical tools to be able to do the work from scripture to see between what their what their influencers and leaders and and so-called pastors and I would say about many of them are are the narrative that they're being delivered and spoon-fed. There is a reality where there is a whole nother group of people that are being led astray sure. by their earthly shepherds. Well, that's the problem. If the pastors are conducting themselves in that way. And we've got a major problem because this isn't just an everyday run in the mill. I'm a follower of a Christ who needs discipleship in my growth. No, this person, I think, took an appropriate step in going to a pastor. <laughs> and the pastor should have responded with the right biblical ethic, either to this person directly or to you directly. Mm-hmm. And that didn't happen. And, and, and if the pastors are the ones creating confusion amongst the the body then mm-hmm. we're we're in huge trouble man mm-hmm. the best way i saw this play out in in just like the public eye um this is just an example that comes to mind and this has nothing to do with the church as i remember years ago there was a clip of um senator john mccain he was campaigning to be president mm-hmm. and he was running against barack obama oh yeah yeah it's classic this? yeah yeah like and there is a person at the town hall forum who came to him publicly and mm-hmm. and you know this is red meat for yep. the crowd. Yep. <laughs> and she goes through all the conspiracy theories that she yeah. heard about Barack Obama and and John McCain just gently corrects her mm-hmm. and says we're not going to to say false things mm-hmm. about this man. Like mm-hmm. he's a part of our country, he's a good man and we're just not going to do this. Yep. Beautiful. If if we could employ an ethic like that as mm-hmm. the church my God, as witnesses of Jesus Christ who had all kind of slander leveled against him yep. and the church throughout history has had all kind of slander leveled against it, then I think we would, we would have a, a better witness in our society. But if this kind of infighting is going to be our public witness, then, you know, I think we got to own some of these critiques from Malcolm. Yeah. And we're going to get to those critiques. Yep. So it's gonna be good, man. So yeah, man. Um, this is this is a good conversation. This is giving us some real time things to explore. So I appreciate you sharing that, man. I hope you and this brother can um, get to a better place. Yeah, man. We, I mean, the conversation ended well. I think we're gonna try to link up in person. He was very uh, intentional about um, trying to connect with me when he came to Jackson. I just happened to be out of town okay. uh, when he was coming. So I mean, I think it's gonna be good. And I tell the story. Obviously, not to disparage him because I, I mean, he, you have no idea who he is, but yeah. I tell the story because I think it's a really good example of what slander is and how yes. it affects brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Amen. Let's be people of repentance, confession and repentance. It's not, this is not something that God's grace cannot cover. So prayerfully, God continues to lead us on. Man, it's been a good conversation, man. Look forward to the next one, bro. Likewise. Thanks for joining us this week on Make It Plain. Make sure to visit our website at makeitplain.co. That's makeitplain.co, where you can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Audible, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts, or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like this show, you might want to check out the autobiography of Malcolm X and consider joining our Patreon group, Home to Roost, where we're discussing his autobiography from a Christian perspective twice a month. Speaking of our Patreon community, a big shout out to each and every one of our Patreon supporters. You help make this show possible. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. Until then, let's continue the conversation via social media. A link to all of our social media accounts can be found at makeitplain.co. Socks are the number one most requested item in homeless shelters. Underwear is the second, shirts are third. At Bombas, socks were first. Made with comfortable details for everyday wearing. Then underwear and shirts too. All designed to perfectly fit. At Bombas, Every item you purchase means you're donating an essential clothing item to someone in need. One comfortable clothing item for you, one donated to someone in need. Bombas, comfort for all. Get 20% off your purchase at bombas.com slash comfy. The Stand Together Tour is coming your way, featuring Newsboys with Danny Gokey, Mac Powell, and Adam Agee. February 19th in Flowood at Word of Life Church. You can stand together for a night of music and fun with Newsboys, Danny Koki and Matt Powell. Tickets are available at AwakeningFoundation.com, an Awakening Foundation event. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Make It Plain. If you have time, go over and subscribe to their podcast. Start listening. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And we will actually have an interview with Philip Holmes coming up in the next month, so you can look forward to that as well. Thanks for listening. If you found this podcast helpful, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. And make sure it's at least five stars. Stop. No, just be honest. Reviews help other people find us. (laughs) Okay, okay. At the very least, you can share today's episode. Maybe put it on your social, your favorite text chain. And if you didn't like this episode, awesome. Tell us why you disagree on Twitter, at truthovertribe underscore. We might even share your thoughts in an upcoming newsletter.